Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As Jesus entered a certain village, ten leprous men stood at a distance and they raised their voice crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And this is the very word of our God as it is found for us today in Luke chapter 17. Well, why is it so hard for us to say thank you? And why is it that we have to continually uh, remind our children from little on to say thank you and to truly have in their heart an attitude of gratitude? It's probably because our sinful nature. It's just not natural to give thanks. Paul Tillich, a rather famous theologian, once said this, the reason that some do not respond or say thank you is because we instinctively realize that if we say thank you, that somehow makes us dependent upon another person. If I say thank you to you, I'm saying that I depend upon you. Of course, a sinful world doesn't want to be dependent upon God. But we know that we are wholly dependent upon God's grace and His mercy for every aspect of our life. So our lesson for today, the pericope for this particular Sunday, often it's read at Thanksgiving, is the account of the ten lepers. Scripture here clearly shows that the main point of this particular lesson is not their healing, but rather it is their response to the healing that they receive. The gratitude of the one who is a Samaritan, who is despised, stands really in stark contrast to the other nine who receive God's grace and mercy. And they themselves, the nine, consider themselves to be a part of the religious community because of their Jewish background. Remember, a Samaritan was considered to be an outcast. As far as the Jews were concerned, they were only good for fuel, for hell's fires. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you want to follow along. We're in Luke chapter 17, beginning with the 11th verse. Here again, Jesus is traveling between Samaria and Galilee. Ten leprous men are there, standing at a distance. They're afflicted with this horrible disease. A disease in that day that was considered incurable. Also a disease that suggested to the people that these guys must be some sort of vile sinners, otherwise they wouldn't have got this disease. As such, Jewish law required that they keep a minimum distance between themselves and those who didn't have this disease. A minimum of 50 yards. That's why they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, when Jesus saw them, He did an unusual thing. Instead of touching them, as He often touched people when He healed them, He simply told them to go and show themselves to the priest. Now, the priests in those days were considered uh, to be of physicians. Uh, They were the ones who diagnosed disease, and they were the ones who could only certify 
that a person had been healed from this disease or that particular disease. Scripture tells us that as these ten leprous men made their way to the priest, they were healed, they were cleansed. Suddenly and miraculously, they are no longer leprous. Nine of them uh, went deliriously back to their family, their friends, their community. Only one of them, deliriously happy, returns to Jesus. Falls on his face at Jesus' feet and gives Him thanks. You know, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? How the nine treated God's mercy. They took advantage of it. And isn't that the way sinful man operates? Sinful man likes to get what it can from God, and then it goes its own way. Rarely does it come back to thank the giver. Nine somehow misinterpreted or misread God's mercy. Not very good odds. Jesus points this out, but notice here, He doesn't retract His mercy, but you can almost hear in His voice a tinge of sorrow and amazement. Again, they ask for mercy and they receive mercy, but to you and I, it just doesn't seem right, does it? But that's what God's gospel of mercy is all about. You know, I've found that in my ministries, 30 plus years, I've found even in our hardship ministry, people often come to the church, are in desperate straits, have all kinds of needs, and we try to help everybody that we can. But you know, the thought occurs to me is that rarely does anyone ever return to give thanks to the congregation. I was having this discussion last week with one of our members who has been on the receiving end of our hardship fund. And this particular person can't say thank you enough. In fact, regularly, Unannounced, he comes over behind the scenes, nobody else knows about it, and he does all kinds of odd jobs around the church. It's his way of expressing thanks and gratitude. It's his way of, of, of saying to the rest of you, thank you for what you've done to make a difference in my life. I'm sure that all of us know people, though, who are not like this. They act and they seem ungrateful. And we're probably aware of the fact that in our lives, we're not always grateful for what has been given to us. This one leprous man did return and give thanks to God. And he shows us the miracle of gratitude. He recognized simply that he had been given a gift. You know, what about the other nine? Didn't they recognize that they had been given a gift? The one not only recognized that he had been given a gift, but he was grateful for it. And he was very much aware of the giver. You know, I've always thought to myself, you can tell a whole lot more about people, not by what they give, but how they receive a gift. 
he recognized that he had received the gift of healing. The physical healing that he had received was only possible because of the giver, because of Jesus. Obviously, the nine companions were happy about being uh, saved and being healed, but only the Samaritan is grateful to the giver. And think about sometimes when you've been on the receiving end of gifts. Think about Christmas morning. Think about little children on Christmas morning. They're opening their presents. Paper is flying everywhere. And sometimes they're so excited about a gift that they were hoping to receive that all they can do is focus on the gift. And they forget about the giver. And of course, mom and dad has to remind them to say thank you. And yet, what happens when gifts are sometimes taken away? What happens is that sometimes the very first person that people blame is who? God. You know, how can that be? They won't give thanks to the giver of every good and perfect gift, but at the same time, if those gifts are not there, if they're taken away, God gets the blame. You can't have it both ways. Martin Luther once spoke about the goodness of God and man's ingratitude. Here's what he said. It's really fascinating. He says, if God was not so good to us, but would give us one arm or one leg when we were born and the other one at the age of seven, wouldn't we be much more grateful? And yet He showers His abundance upon us day after day after day. Jesus healed ten people on this day. Only one of them was grateful and He being a foreigner, a Samaritan. Which I think proves the point that Jesus healed people indiscriminately. He came for the ungrateful. He came for the undeserving. Some people would say that His mercy and His grace was practically wasted away. But that's why the grace and the mercy of God, I think, is so shocking, so surprising, and so exciting because it goes out to all people. It goes out to people uh, who are not like us. It goes out to people who do not share our political views. It goes out to those who uh, love our nation and those who don't. Sometimes because of my sinful nature, I am tempted to withhold mercy to that person because they're not like I am or they don't agree with me. Think about God's Word as full of examples of people who acted that way. The one guy that comes to my mind is Jonah. God calls Jonah to go and proclaim the love and the mercy of God to the Ninevites. But Jonah doesn't want to go. Why? Because he believes that the Ninevites are so bad, they are not deserving of God's grace and mercy. Now, Jonah is often thrown under the bus. Frankly, if I was in Jonah's shoes... I'd probably have to agree with him. Because when you came to the Ninevites, if you entered the city of the Ninevites, they threw down a powerful message. They didn't have a sign at the border like of Selene that says, Welcome to Selene, or Welcome to Nineveh, but they had this huge pile of skulls 
that they had in their conquering of other nations, they would drag them home, they would put this huge pile of skulls of people there as a way of warning any future visitors, you better not mess around with us, with the Ninevites, or we will have you put to death. And yet God came for all people. God came to share His grace with a world lost in its sin. It's the mystery of God's grace and mercy. You ever think about what's the difference between grace and mercy? So two virtues that are closely related, but they're different. Grace, my confirmation students know the answer to grace because I tell them all the time. If you don't remember anything in my class, remember what grace is. God's undeserved love. Now what's mercy then? Mercy has a whole different nuance. Mercy means that, that we don't receive the punishment that we deserve. Slightly different. Grace and mercy. And do you realize that when you have the gift of God's grace and mercy, you have something else. You have something that the world uh, desperately searches for but can't find on its own. When you have God's grace and mercy alive in your heart, you have peace. A peace that passes all understanding. Again, God sent His Son to stand in our place. Mercy is this gut-level word that churns up... Uh, feelings of sensitivity to the plight and the problems and the pain of others. And mercy is motivated by God's love and the realization that we cannot neglect the love of God and the love of others. I'm just about done here. Like the ten lepers, you and I have experienced God's grace and mercy. We have experienced His healing touch. Jesus left behind His home in heaven. For what purpose? Again, he saw that we were lost. You see, sin and leprosy are similar. Seemingly incurable diseases. Sin and leprosy both separate us. Sin separates us from God. Leprosy separates us from others. Both of them are seemingly incurable, can only be cured by God. And they both leave us without a hope or a future. But Jesus loved us so much that He died for us. He cleansed us from our sins so that on the last day we can stand before Him cleansed, clothed in His righteousness. Like the nine, you and I know the temptation of taking God's blessings and running with them. Taking God's blessings and running in the other direction. It's kind of the, the temptation of get and go. We are tempted to go our own way. We see this even among Christians with this mentality of Christmas and Easter. You know, come in and I get my fill of God's grace and blessings and then I run my own way. Or this is what our confirmation students will face. The temptation in the weeks to come to get and to go. But like the one leper who gave praise and thanks to God, we can, in this case, we can go and tell. 
We can show and tell. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go. And our lives can be a witness to His love. question is, does our life show a witness? Does it show that we have a love relationship with Jesus? I pray that it does. One last question. You know, looking at this lesson, ask yourself, are you a praiser or a complainer? I can only imagine that the nine lepers were ungrateful complainers for whom nothing in life seemed to be good enough. In fact, I can only imagine they probably complained that after they were healed, they had to go show themselves and waste their time and go show themselves to the priest. But the one leper returns and he gives thanks to God. And I can only imagine that the rest of his life is one of thanks and praise to Jesus. People could see by his life that he had been touched by the grace and the mercy of Christ. And I pray that those around you can see that you too have been touched by the grace and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So by the power of God's Holy Spirit, don't be afraid to go and tell the great things that God has done for you. In His name we ask it. Amen.